Hey. Psst. Hey. Right now. Subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you're listening. Now, from a sponsor. Good News, a podcast is brought to you by our bees. We don't have the meat. We're not our bees. We have bees. Our bees. Good news! We're still here. Green energy production is growing in Britain, and you are listening to a podcast. Hello, my name is Karnik Fiachain, your anchor. Welcome aboard our ship. This week's feature, we're looking into satire and journalism. The last few decades, the two have done much like Robin Thicke. No, not steal samples from Marvin Gaye, but blurred lines. Before that, here's 45 seconds of the news you should know from this week. The partial U.S. government shutdown is still ongoing. As of January 25th, the shutdown is in its 35th day. The U.S. Supreme Court voted 5-4, to four, temporarily allowing the Trump administration policy barring most transgender people from military service. The policy is under review in lower courts. A report found that most likely thousands of more children were separated from their parents at the southern border than previously believed. Venezuela is in more unrest over who the current president is. Thailand will hold a general election on March 24th, the first time since a military coup occurred almost five years ago. The March 29th Brexit date is creeping closer with no plan in place. The Yellow Vest protest in France continued for the 10th consecutive weekend. The New England Patriots and the LA Rams advanced to the Super Bowl. The Oscar nominations were announced and the Emmys happened. Much like Splenda, news to know is a sweet substitute but that doesn't mean you get it all here i'm just making sure you're up to date for more substance on that oh so joyful news go out and read what's relevant to you before balancing out news to know with good news as mentioned last week i'm in need of good news from you I've got a travel date in a few weeks, and I want to keep this podcast rolling. So, I'm putting together a feature of listener good news before I hit the road. I always want to hear good news from you, but in a few weeks, I need to. So, if you come across good news or have news in your life that exemplifies the good, send me a voicemail at 971-319-5829, or send an audio recording to goodnews at goodnewsapodcast.com. Now here's this week's good news. Good news. Good news. As promised, as long as the partial U.S. government shutdown persists, I'll continue to share good news from it. Last week, MSNBC anchor Stephanie Rule ended her show with her typical good news rules segment. Aside from the fact that good news is often shoved to the end of a broadcast like it's the center of a sad tragic Tootsie Pop, Rule shared a heartwarming story of a family coming together to support one of their own. The story told was, one furloughed worker had to pawn her wedding ring to make ends meet. But, when her family heard the news, they contacted the pawn shop's owner and bought her ring back. That family's action, stepping up when someone close to us is in need, exemplifies much of the good news during this shutdown. As Rule said, that's who we are as a nation. Good news acknowledged, Vox covered this report by Rule in a much different light. Vox's headline read, There are no feel-good government shutdown stories. Despite the lackadaisical dead construction of the story's title, Vox's German Lopez made a strong point. The root of good news stories from the government shutdown is bad news. 
The root is the government shutdown. Having a news outlet say that is refreshing and a different form of good news. It's good journalism. It made me consider, when boiled down, good and bad aren't mutually exclusive. Often bad is a reason why good happens. Think about it. Superheroes become heroes because of villains. If Gotham didn't have crime, Batman is just a billionaire in a very eccentric outfit. Nevertheless, a family stepping up to help one of their own is good news from a bad situation. According to Anapsis's 2018 market report, in Great Britain, it's predicted that renewable energy will overtake fossil fuels as the dominant source of power by 2020, while predictions are for the future. The report found that in Great Britain, fossil fuel production continued to decline in 2018, while the production of renewable energy rose by 15%. With 2018's news about how we could begin seeing severe impacts of climate change by 2030, this is a small step for a nation, with a giant leap for mankind still needed. Nevertheless, that's a good trend. In more good news, while not perfect, an experimental stem cell therapy treatment for multiple sclerosis, or MS, is showing promise. An autoimmune disease in which the body attacks its myelin protection surrounding its nerve cells, MS can cause a wide range of symptoms, including fatigue, trouble walking, vertigo, and vision problems. Like any medical treatment, there's a list of side effects, and this type of treatment is only effective for a percentage of people with a certain type of relapsing MS. However, the experimental treatment is yielding positive results. According to the National Multiple Sclerosis website, in a one-year trial, only one out of the 51 patients who underwent this experimental treatment experienced a relapse of their MS symptoms. Compare that to the nearly 70% of people who experienced a relapse in the experiment's control group. The initial study has found that this stem cell therapy may be more effective than some drug treatments. A good sign for some of the 2.3 million people affected by MS. And to round things off, Romeo, the world's loneliest frog, has a Valentine's Day date. That's all the information I'm going to give you right now. I'll be sure to follow up on this story on Valentine's Day. But for more information on this story, and for all the good news sources heard on this podcast, follow at GN underscore a podcast on Twitter. If you have any good news, like I said, I need to hear it in a few weeks. Send a voicemail to 971 319 5829 and I'll give you a shout out and put you on the show. Feature satire and journalism, comedy and tragedy, or the jester and the pen. Last week I said, even Trevor Noah on the Daily Show kicked off a new segment called World War D, keeping viewers quote up to date on every twist and turn in the crowded democratic race. Listening back, I realized I lumped together satire and journalism like two pieces of wet clay. But the fact is, I turned to comedians, satirists, for news. On Good News, a podcast social media pages this past week, I ran some polls which confirmed, I'm not the only one who does that. On the surface, the two styles of communication seem different, one lambasting and laughable, and the other like bread. Cut and dry. Despite their differences, satire and journalism share similarities. Both great journalists and satirists are revered. Both satire and journalism are protected under the First Amendment with freedom of speech and freedom of the press. And both speak truth to power. 
Throughout history, many great minds as well as television programs have used satire. This includes the likes of Jonathan Swift and Mark Twain, as well as the BBC broadcast That Was the Week That Was, Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live, and the great late-night hosts such as Johnny Carson. But before the Walter Cronkite era, an era in which there was a trusted voice in news, satire and those who slung it weren't turned to as journalistic sources like they are today. To show satire's rise in journalistic prominence, according to the Pew Research Center, in 2016, 25% of people cited late-night comedy as a source in which they learned about the presidential election, and 12% of people said late-night comedy was the most helpful source. If that's not enough for you, we have a coined phrase, the John Oliver effect, for the impact of reporting done by satirical comedians. So, how do we come to depend on jokers being a reliable journalistic source? Well, a lot of credit is given to Jon Stewart and The Daily Show, as well as his contemporary Stephen Colbert on The Colbert Report. Yet, most studies focus on Stewart. So, I'll do the same. Solely looking at his accolades, in a half decade, it's clear to see people took notice that Jon Stewart was blurring the lines between satire and journalism. In 2004, five years after Stewart took up the post as host, The Daily Show was named the best news and information program by the Television Critics Association. For the award, The Daily Show beat out Frontline, Nightline, Meet the Press, and 60 Minutes, all traditional news programs. In 2007, when Americans were asked which journalists they admired most by the Pew Research Center, Stewart tied for fourth with Brian Williams and Tom Brokaw of NBC, Dan Rather of CBS, and Anderson Cooper of CNN. And in 2009, Rolling Stone magazine deemed Stewart the most trusted name in news. Additionally, a Time magazine poll named Stewart America's most trusted newscaster post-Walter Cronkite, albeit the poll had only four choices. That trust garnered in a half decade, just one decade after Stewart started as host in 1999, was established through segments such as Indecision 2000, The Daily Show's coverage of the 2000 presidential election tiebreaker, as well as Stewart's reaction to 9-11, the 2004 takedown of Tucker Carlson on Crossfire, and the 2009 interview with Jim Cramer right after the global financial crisis. While Stewart's talent is undeniable, when you pull back the curtain, it's clear to see a myriad of factors helped him and satire better their positions in journalism. To gloss over a few, deregulation of broadcast media in the 1980s and 90s increased pressure on the news industry to cut costs and maximize profits. This, in part, reduced foreign coverage and investigative reporting, and increased over-dramatized and hyper-personalized news. The deregulation, as well as the rise of the internet, created new opportunities for media programs and companies to emerge. Cable, which Comedy Central is on, grew during this time. Proliferation of media outlets was countered by the consolidation of media ownership, but nevertheless, competition for advertising dollars increased, causing news outlets to stick with tried-and-true methods of delivering the news. And all these factors and more led to a rise in infotainment as well as dissatisfied viewers. 
According to a Pew study from 2002, audiences for most forms of television news fell considerably between 1993 and 2002, with viewers for nightly network news falling 46%. All this, and more, created an opportunity for new talking heads to fill a void and provide a voice for a disgruntled public in the early 2000s. In no way do these factors discount Stewart's talent. To some degree, we are all a victim or victor of circumstance. But more or less, Stewart and his buddy Colbert came up in a time when people were looking for a voice to turn to in journalism. Though journalism is not what either comedian intended. Since Stewart, satirical news shows have proliferated. They've added to the old standby late night shows that have been slinging satire for a while. And fitting for this narrative, many of the newer satirical hosts spent time with Jon Stewart and The Daily Show, including John Oliver on Last Week Tonight, Samantha Bee on Full Frontal, Hassan Minaj on The Patriot Act, and Trevor Noah on The Daily Show. Though it's never a complete story in a few-minute feature, that's kinda how we got here. The public was disgruntled and looking for a new, trustworthy voice, and they found it in a satirical program willing to speak on their level. But looking at how we got here isn't quite enough. What does getting news through a satirical source mean for journalism? It's hard to say. A study in 2004 found viewers of late-night comedy programs, especially The Daily Show, were more likely to know positions and backgrounds of presidential candidates than people who didn't watch late-night comedy. But a study published in 2008 found entertainment shows may not be as influential in teaching voters as thought. Some study from 2004 said people who watch The Daily Show are more cynical toward the electoral system and the news media, but some people argue a little cynicism is healthy for democracy. Whether good, bad, or otherwise, satirical news is now a source in the mass media infotainment era of journalism. It might not be the first stop, but it's a part of many Americans' media diet. A common factor of satirical news is that a baseline understanding of current events and politics is preferable, if not necessary, to get more out of the jokes. So basically, satirical news is a secondary or tertiary source in journalism. This makes sense with what Joe Cutberth stated in his doctoral dissertation from Columbia University titled Satire and Journalism. The Daily Show, and American Politics at the Turn of the 21st Century. In the lengthy document, Cutbirth's final thought said, The news consumption is changing, and quoted Stewart, who claims, Americans are living in a, quote, age of information osmosis. Another way to think about it, satire and journalism is bacon. Just another, more processed way to digest the news. And for any vegetarian or vegans listening, remember this podcast is brought to you by Our Bees. Alright, that'll do it. Thanks for listening this week. You can hear Good News, a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are out Fridays, and in the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and review this show everywhere. Follow Good News, a podcast on Facebook, Instagram at Good News, a podcast, and Twitter at GN underscore a podcast, where sources for the show are posted. Last but not least, consider giving to Good News, a podcast Patreon. 
Patreon is an easy way to give money to an individual creator you support. To give your support, go to patreon.com slash goodnewsapodcast or click on the link in this episode's description. If you give a dollar, you'll get a Good News A Podcast sticker. All right, this has been Good News A Podcast. It's not the best news, it's good news. <laughs>